Here at Shaun of the South, we're keeping our hands sharp with the help of Case Knives, the sponsor of this episode. A tradition of my family for generations, my granddaddy used to say the best cure for idle hands was to build something. But in today's day and age, everything's done with a click, a swipe, or a tap. But how about we put away the screens and put your hands to work with a case knife? Hey, you are listening to Sean on the South, and I'm your host this evening, Sean Dietrich. And man, we got a great show lined up ahead of here. A great show coming to you live in the podcast airwaves and the radio waves all over this fine nation. This beautiful girl you see behind me here tonight, fixing to play music for you, is Bailey Biggers, everybody. Bailey Biggers.
take me years to name off all the things I love you for. But this road keeps turning round, and I can't seem to plant my feet on solid ground. But I can keep you. You come back to Memphis, Tennessee, 'cause you left your Program is brought to you by Visit North Alabama, the Mountain Lakes Tourist Association. Travel to visit the 16 North Alabama counties that make this state what it is: festivals, attractions, and restaurants all over Alabama. Bunt County, Cherokee County, Colbert County, Coleman County, DeKalb County, Edwards County, Franklin County, Jackson County, Lauderdale County, Lawrence County, Limestone County, Madison County, Marion County, Marshall County, Morgan County, and Winston County. <laughs> Or visit the Horton Mill Bridge just off Alabama 75, about five miles north of Oneonta. Built in 1935, all the work was done strictly by hand tools. Think about that for a second. Or how about the North Alabama Barbecue Trail trek across North Alabama on a holy, sacred pilgrimage of saturated fat and slow-smoked pork? Other states do their barbecue differently than they do in Alabama, and that's not to say that they don't do it right. But that is absolutely to say that they do it dead wrong. <laughs> Make plans today to visit North Alabama because whatever you want to do, you can do it better in North Alabama. Look them up at visit North Alabama or NorthAlabama.org or hashtag VisitNorthAL. <laughs> Now let's have another tune here from Bailey Biggers, everybody. Bailey Biggers.
We're here going to read you a little bit of our mail, a little bit of our mail this evening, saying to us from listeners all over this fine nation, I had nothing better to do than to put pen to paper and type out an email or send us a message or even a text message with their thumbs or a manila envelope delivered by legal representatives telling us to cease and desist under threat of legal consequence. Our first letter comes from Fred Cannon in Memphis, Tennessee. John, thanks for the stories. Just wanted to write you and say, you're my accompaniment to work every week when I have to make sales calls. And I do a lot of driving. I do wish the show was a lot longer, but it's not. And I guess I'll just have to learn to live with that. So, seriously, thank you, Fred. Well, dear Fred, no problem. No problem. Jeannie Truman. Fort Worth, Texas. There was a guy on our street who had a dog that went missing. And several of the neighborhood kids got together to try and find it, but it was to no avail. So the kids all banded together and got posters printed and such, and they went and posted them on telephone poles, stop signs, and even went door to door asking about the dog. And guess what? Those few kids, through sheer determination, actually found that man's dog. And he was so overcome when that dog came running to him, there were several of us there to see it, that he cried. Sean, the innocence of a child is beautiful. It might be the most beautiful thing on earth. And you have permission to read this letter over the air. Love, Jamie. Jamie. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you. Alvin Emerson, Hoover, Alabama. Do you ever remember putting peanuts in Coca-Cola? Well, I do. And I hadn't done it in years, but I remember when my grandfather and my father used to do it. But for some reason, it's been a long time since I've done it last. Yesterday, I got off work and I had this really bad day. And I stopped by a convenience store on the way home that this teenager was running the cash register inside and I saw this kid because I see him every day when I stop in to get a Mountain Dew or a Gatorade or an energy drink. I saw him and I went to the back and I got a Coca-Cola and then I bought a bag of peanuts and put it into the mouth and he was like, what in the world are you doing? And so I got him to try it too. We did it together even though we're more or less strangers. And Sean, it was the highlight of my day. No, sir, it was the highlight of my week. Something small like that, something small like that can mean so much. How is that even possible? Anyway, I knew you were the kind of guy who'd want to hear about that sort of thing. Sincerely, Alvin, but most people call me Al. Dear Al, I love peanuts and Coca-Cola. It reminds me of of my father too, he used to call it the poor man's lunchbox. Cindy Johnstone, Alberta, Canada. Canada, Alberta, Canada, my God. Long way from home. Sean, I was rolling down the supermarket aisle a few days ago and I heard a song come over the radio and it was a song that my husband and I used to call our song. Funny thing is, it was his birthday on that exact day. He's been gone for many years now. What do you think about things like that happening 
like coincidences? Do they seem to happen to you more and more often? Lord knows they do me. Not that it means anything spooky. I just think there's more to life than what we see with our eyes. What do you think? Well, dear Cindy, I think you are so right. I'd be curious to know what your song was. Addison Graver, Montgomery, Alabama. I got really into using bacon grease and everything we cook lately, the way my mother used to do. And do you know what? It seems like that was her secret ingredient all along. It sounds so simple, but for some reason I didn't know it until just now. All my life I've wondered how she made things so good. And it turns out it was all from that bacon grease jar that sat above her stove. For my entire childhood, my mother kept a bacon grease jar by the stove. It was her signature thing. She would make breakfast and fill it every day when breakfast was over with hot bacon grease and it would cool off midday and get all tan looking and hard. And when breakfast would come around, she'd do it all over again. But when she would make butter beans, green beans, or cream corn, or cornbread, or whatever, she would use this bacon grease from the jar and it was such a little move, just a flick of the wrist, that when you saw her do it, you didn't realize she was making all the difference in the world right there when she added that dollop of bacon grease. So I've been trying to figure out her cooking for years since she's been gone. There are a few things I do know how to make like she made, like her chess pie. Chess pie, there's something you don't hear mentioned every day. Also, I know how to, to make her biscuits, Sean, but other things I've had to sort of try to recollect and while I'm okay at it, I ain't great. But the bacon grease, the bacon grease was a huge step forward. So to all your readers or listeners who are trying to learn to cook like mama, I believe they'll get a kick out of this. Don't skimp on the bacon grease. Thanks for the show, Addison. Well, dear Addison, in my household, we had a, we had a dish that... Uh, that is really just boiled bacon grains sprinkled with a few collard grains. But of course, uh, a lot of people don't understand that. Thank you for the letter. Very, very uh, beneficial to the health and fitness industry. <laughs> Bobby Marjorie, Macon, Georgia. My name is Bobby with an I for a girl spelt with an I. I just wanted to say that I discovered your show when I had minor surgery on my collarbone. And I started listening to it. And it helped me get through some of the recuperation time. And well, that meant a lot to me. Then my nephew Ryan, who had a medical procedure, nothing major, also had to be in bed for a week. And so I got him to start listening to it too, which was great because he's so much younger than I am. And I couldn't believe we were finding common ground, even though there's a big age gap between us. Just thought I'd share that with you, Sean. Well, dear Bobby, thank you for that. Thank you for that very much. Larry Bradley, New York City, New York. Dear Sean, found your show by accident, but have been listening faithfully ever since, and I don't do nothing faithfully. I was on a subway train last week when I found your show. 
about where the red fern grows, the book. And I was at that exact moment, if you can believe it, I was reading, well, not where the red fern grows, but just a magazine. But I should have been reading where the red fern grows because it was one of my favorite books when I was a kid and I wanted to re-explore it after I heard your show. So that's what I did. I went and bought Where the Red Fern Grows. I thought to myself, how weird is this? How weird is this that somebody on the other side of the U.S. could be so much like you? But then again, Sean, it's not weird because there are certain people in life that we meet who share our feelings and emotions and I'm learning this the more I go on. I'm also learning that this is probably what life is all about, sort of. It's about finding people. In fact, maybe that's the whole gist of existence, wandering around this rock and finding other people. And I don't know what I'm talking about, but I feel like I'm talking about something. <laughs> right now I'm on a train and I'm on my way to work typing to you on my phone with my thumbs, like you always say on your show. I just thought that maybe you and I would be friends if we ever met in person, because we're so much alike. I miss friends, to tell you the truth. I'm from a small town in southern Kansas, and I've been in New York City for three years. And the only things people do here are go out and party with, with too much alcohol, or sleep off their hangover, or God knows what else. In other words, it's hard to meet anybody here who isn't a social status climber or who isn't ambitious. And I think that's what I miss most about my small town. Nobody is ambitious there. You have what you have, and there's really not a lot more than that to have. I'm rambling, I know it. But thanks for letting me do so. And thanks for the shows. Think about me up here in the Northeast all alone waiting for a girl to appear who thinks like I do who maybe wouldn't mind being my wife. I don't seem to have that much luck with Dayton, but I'm holding out hope. Love, Larry. Well, dear Larry, dear Larry, you have more than one friend tonight here. In fact, you, you have a lot of us here tonight who are all thinking of you because I just read your letter to them and they're thinking of you whether they like that or not. And we're all thinking about you, this grown man on a subway train, reading Where the Red Fern Grows by, by, by Wilson Rawls. And I can safely say that to everyone else in New York City, reading Where the Red Fern Grows might be kind of weird. But to us, to us, it's completely normal. Because there are more of us here tonight in this little theater who are related to you than probably New York City, or are there? Are there people in New York City who love you just as much as we do? Anyway, hope to meet you someday, Larry, in person. But until then, in the words of Wilson Rawls, author of the famous Where the Red Fern Grows book, I'd like to read you a short quote uh, from him. <clears throat> I had heard the old Indian legend about the red fern how a little Indian boy and girl were lost in a blizzard and had frozen to death in the spring where they were found a beautiful red fern had grown up between their two bodies. The story went on to say that only an angel could plant the seeds of a red fern and that they never died where one grew. 
for that spot was sacred. Larry, this spot is sacred wherever you may be and wherever we are at the same moment in time. Wherever we are together, this spot is sacred. And that's letters from our listeners. Letters from our listeners. Now I'll tune in the song from Bailey Biggers. Give it up for Bailey Biggers, everybody.
Oh, I think what I like most about this weather change we've had last week where the wind picked up a little bit from, from the north and brought us a little bit of cool air blowing across that Chalkatcha Bay and getting even cooler as it ran across the surface of that water and finally getting into our town and swirling around and, and just, just making the hot, hot world we've been living in feel just a little bit cooler. It got so, so brisk that you could walk outside and you could almost remember what it felt like to be human again because we have been living in such a hot world that, that even our, our local Jehovah's Witnesses have decided to take up telemarketing. <laughs> it's been rough, so rough, but not anymore. Not anymore. I woke up a few mornings ago and it was just so, so nice that I sat on the porch and I didn't even break a sweat. This is rare. In West Florida, you break a sweat no matter what you do. All you do is sweat. We drank, on average, 10 gallons of water a day just to survive. I went out to Utah uh, and, and visited Arizona and Nevada and I didn't sweat for an entire Weak. It was. It was weird. It was unnatural. I'll never forget getting in the plane and, and flying on the way home. And when I finally crossed into Floridian territory, you could see the pores on everybody's face just open up, and they started sweating. It was. It was. Well, made you feel like you were home. <laughs> One of the things we do here, when this weather turns like this, we we sit on the porch a lot. And that's what we were doing uh, a few days ago. I was on the porch with my mother-in-law and my wife, and our bloodhound was out there. My other dog, uh, who is Otis, black and white, alleged bloodhound, uh, alleged Labrador, was wandering through the, the grass near the Choctahatchee Bay. And we had a good view of that calm, still bay while we were sitting there on this brick porch at my mother-in-law's. There was. Uh, a line of rocking chairs. I was sitting in one. My mother-in-law was sitting in the one beside me, and my wife was sitting cross-legged on the on the brick patio floor with my bloodhound in her lap, and she was rubbing her hands across the bloodhound fur. And we could hear Thelma Lou, the bloodhound herself, song logs. It was just a heard anything more glorious than if you heard a bloodhound snore. It's wonderful. They just take every iota of this life and they savor it. An Alabama game was going in, in, on a little radio in the background and the voice of Eli Gold was, was calling the game plays and you could hear the hiss, the dull hiss of a crowd and we were just talking, just porch talking. There's a very special way that we porch talk here in West Florida. We always start every conversation with mosquitoes. You always talk about the mosquitoes. And while you're, you're speaking about them, you're slapping yourself. You're slapping the back of your neck and you're slapping your, your cheek and, and your chin and your, your arms and legs. And they're just gathered around you. They can smell pleasure. And whenever you are happy, they find their way around you and start, start gathering around you like chickens around a June bug. We were slapping and we were talking. My mother-in-law said, oh, how about these mosquitoes? Aren't they bad? 
My wife says, oh, they're terrible. Aren't they just terrible? My bloodhound says, My wife says, oh, I don't remember them ever being this bad. And she slaps the back of her neck. And my mother-in-law says, yeah, I know it. I know it. It's just, it's, it's just terrible this year. And she slap her arm. Now see, from this part of the conversation, you can pretty much take it anywhere. You can talk about anything uh, in a variety of directions. You can talk about the time that Mother Mary, my mother-in-law, got malaria from, from a mosquito and how that really ruined the summer. Or you can talk about that time that you got bit right in between the eyes by a mosquito that was about the size of a, of a, of a Shetland pony. <laughs> or you can talk about that time that your Uncle John was, was wearing shorts, big old shorts, and apparently a large, a large Olympic-sized mosquito flew into one of his pant legs of his shorts and it bit him and it made him squeal and he swatted himself in a region of the man's body where he ought to never swat himself. <laughs> and you can talk about how he went down under the power after that and hit the grass and rolled around and he had to be escorted back to his RV where he, he it took at least four beers to get him feeling better. You could talk about these things. Uh, you could also talk about the time that when you were about third grade, Johnny Cooper dared you to eat a live lizard tail. The little lizard was crawling around Johnny, Johnny Cooper's mother's front porch, and you captured it, and that little thing just started flicking out his red money bag underneath his neck, and, and you, you, you held it up, and, and Johnny Cooper said, I dare you to eat that lizard tail. You looked at him, you said, I ain't doing that. And then Johnny Cooper said, I double dare you to eat that lizard tail or you are a wussy. And all the children gathered around him and they looked at him and then they looked at me and you're on the spot here, you gotta do a little something and you pretend to eat the lizard tail. I, I, I decided to talk about this on the porch, and I told my mother-in-law this, told my, my wife this. My mother-in-law answered, golly, that's, that's disgusting. Did you actually eat that lizard tail? My wife says, is that true? Did you really eat the lizard tail? Well, the answer is no, I, I didn't really eat the lizard tail. I pretended to eat the lizard tail. At the time, I was eating gummy worms, and I had one in my mouth, and so, I pretended to eat that lizard tail, and as soon as I was done, I just let this little, faintest little old tail of that, that green gummy worm dangle out my mouth <laughs> before I slurped it up. And then I let the lizard go, and all the kids just winced and hollered and, and screamed. And to this day, I am known as the boy who ate a lizard tail. I can be, it's true, I can be in the grocery store walking down the canned vegetable aisle and somebody will come up and say, hey, you're that boy who ate the lizard tail, ain't you? <laughs> I, and, and I will, you know, I'll say, yes, it's me. And then I'll, you know, autograph that person's six-month-old baby's forehead. 
Oh, I told this to my wife and my mother-in-law. They, they, they thought this was great. They laughed a little bit, looked out into the distance at the water, and we were just silent for a little bit. My wife was petting on my bloodhound. The sound of her snoring was just echoing across the surface of the water, which was very still. We call it, when it's still like this, we would call it as still as bath water. Or, or like my uncle used to say, slicker now snot. Only he did not use the word snot. <laughs> my mother-in-law say, oh, I love it when it's still like this, don't you? My wife say, oh, yeah, I do. But you know, I can't be out in it unless it's still like this. My wife said, because, because you know, I get motion sick. My mother-in-law said, don't I know it? Don't I know it? You got so motion sick on that last cruise we took, you were just out of commission. My wife said, yeah, yeah, you mean the cruise we took to Alaska? Lord, I was so sick that I was just doubled over and I was puking my brains out. My mother-in-law looked at my wife, this very proper, proper Southern woman said, we don't use that word, sweetie. My wife said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was leaning over the side, doubled over, ralphing my brains out. <laughs> my wife said, you know, I had, to, I had to take so much anti-nausea medication on the cruises Sean and I went on that, that all I did was sleep once that stuff kicked in. And it's true, my wife and I, we've been on a few cruises together. And both times, she gets so motion sick that as soon as that ship departed from the New Orleans port, and we were just way out into the Gulf, she looked at me and she just turned green all over. She said, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, well, land's a little too far away for you to make it swimming. I said, I think you're gonna have to do it. She said, oh, I, I'm sick, I'm sick. And so we'd visit the medical bay and she would get this anti-nausea medication and they'd slap her with these dermal, transdermal patches all over her body. She, she'd wear it on her arm and on her hip and on her, on her tummy. And this medication would make her sleep like a baby. And so she'd hit our room, hit that bed, put her face on a pillow, and that was it. And so it was up to me to just, you know, wander around a cruise ship and, and find ways to entertain myself. I found all sorts of ways to entertain myself. I would attend the, the well, I went for one thing on the water slide they had near the pool. Lord, I... I'd get up them steps and I'd slide down that water slide every couple seconds and just plunge into the water. I had, I had a lot of friends who were all under the age of nine who, who would, would like to see if I could do certain tricks coming off that water slide because I'd get airborne and I'd just shoot across that water. And then when I was done, I'd go to the buffet and I'd eat, I'd eat food, copious amounts of food. I'd eat entire pizzas and I'd eat chocolate fudge sundaes which were endless say all the food is free or it's included in your price and I attended in the mornings uh, little you know classes they held I attended a needlepoint class and a cross stitching class and I learned how to weave a basket and at night when my wife was sleeping I would go and I would go after hours to the little clubs they have around the ship and one of my favorites was the karaoke club oh God, you could go to the karaoke club and just spend a whole week enjoying the scenery. I remember seeing 
old men get into that little karaoke club and crawl up onto that stage staggering a little bit and laughing a little too much and slurring their words over the microphone while they tried to sing Frank Sinatra's version of I Did It My Way. Regrets, I have a few, but then again, too few to mention. Oh, man, you never seen anything as nice as that. And then, then they'd get off the stage and there'd be some boy who came from Indiana who was an Elvis impersonator. And he was a professional, even though he was a little uh, different looking. He, he was, for one thing, a blonde with pale white skin. So that, that was interesting. He got up and did a, did a version of, of Elvis's hunk of hunk of burning love. And some of the older ladies in the audience went crazy over that, particularly the older ladies in the audience who were all celebrating a 70th birthday and wearing matching tiaras and feathered boas and sipping Moscow mules. And when that boy finished doing his Elvis dance, he got off the stage and this whole group of women celebrating a 70 birthday, white-haired women with these feathered boas and diamond-plated tiaras crawled up onto the stage holding their copper cups of Moscow mules and the karaoke machine started playing Argentina's rolling on a river. <laughs> and they did their dance together. Lift a good job in the city Working for the man every night and day Never lost a minute of sleeping Wondering how things might have been Big wheels keep on turning Proud mirror keep on burning Ooh, rolling, rolling, rolling on river ba -da -ba. And that's the part of the song where every lady broke her artificial hip. <laughs> oh man, it was great. And then you'd you'd finish up and you'd you'd tip your server and you'd get up and you'd walk around that boat and you'd look out at the water and just enjoy the the sound of dark, quiet water. There's something something about it. My mother-in-law, my wife and I, my dog, we, we got real quiet after talking about, about cruises and vacations. My mother-in-law just said, you know, I'd like to go, go see a few things. My elderly mother-in-law, white hair, feet up on the railing, rocking in that chair. My wife said, yeah, I'd like to see a few things too, uh, things I've always wanted to see. I said, well, what would you like to see? She said, oh, I'd like to see Yosemite and Redwood Forest. My mother-in-law said, I'd like to see Yellowstone, really would. And, and something with mountains, you know, I think it's Glacier National Park with the, with the bison, you know, running around everywhere. My wife said, oh, I've never seen a bison. My mother-in-law said, well, that's a buffalo. My wife said, well, I've never seen a buffalo. Oh, yeah, me neither, but I've always wanted to. I always wanted to. Yes, I, I've always wanted to see a few things too. I, I haven't been many places in my life. I, I went to Tijuana, Mexico when I was a young man, but that was, that was about it. Uh, I've always wanted to see Canada. I've always wanted to explore some of the Great Lakes and see what those are all about. 
But when you're a guy like me, you, you just kind of, you just kind of stuck here at home and, and, and you deal with it, you like it, you learn to love not traveling and, and you learn to get a little uncomfortable whenever you get around airplanes. That's probably why I don't like to fly. When we got quiet, my mother-in-law said, you know, I ain't seen many places in my life either. I ain't traveled much. My wife said, yeah, not me neither. And my mother-in-law said, but you know, I'm happy here. My wife said, yeah, me, me too, me too. And we looked across the surface of that water. My mother-in-law, she said, when we built this house and we built this porch, I, I knew that this was where I wanted to be because there's no better place on earth than, than being right here on this water and looking out across this wonderful bay. Isn't this bay wonderful? My wife said, it is. And we saw this, this little tiny white sailboat kind of roll past our line of vision. Big old white sail. There was a young boy on the front and he was, he was hiking, which is what they call, uh, you know, leaning off the boat. When you lean off the boat and you get that boat tilted up on its side, that's called hiking. And he was hiking on the boat, tugging on the rudder and tugging on the main sheets. And he was, he was loving his life. He just kind of rolled in zigzag motions, tacking back and forth. And, he passed our line of vision, and my mother-in-law said, it's, it's wonderful, these lazy afternoons, isn't it? My wife said, yeah, yeah. The sound of that Alabama game was hissing in the background. The dull roar of a crowd. The score was like 45 to two. <laughs> and we were swatting our necks, and swatting our arms, and swatting our foreheads. My wife smiled at my dog who was in her lap. And she kept her hand right there in that little crease that goes between the dog's nose and her, her eyebrows. It's this crease that runs right up her forehead, a little valley that was made for, for a human being's finger to rub and just gently, gently pet. And my wife said, did you really eat a lizard? I said, I told you, it was just a joke. I, I didn't, I never did that. She said, what if I caught one now? Would you eat one? I said, are you kidding me? I'm a grown man now. And my mother-in-law said, I double dog dare you. Well, these are the things that you think about on an on a, on a Indian summer afternoon. These are the times of life when, when your whole life swirls around you, and it doesn't matter what you talk about. It's a stream of consciousness that's always around us that you get to think about, but you never get to vocalize because it takes being around people you love to vocalize certain innermost feelings that you feel. I hope you get to travel. I hope you get to see this world, Redwood Forest, Yellowstone, Yosemite, Acadia National Park, Grand Canyon National Park, Craters of the Moon, Idaho, the Tallgrass National Prairie Reserve in Kansas, anything in Texas like Austin or, or South Padre Island. I hope you get to see the Florida Keys and I hope you get to see the forgotten coast of Apalachicola and Carabelle. I hope you get to see the wonderful Panhandle and the signs of Pensacola Beach and Navarre that are pure white sugar. But more than anything, for you, I hope and wish.
that you get to sit on your porch for people you love and talk about the mosquitoes. Hey, thank you very much for having me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I'm your host today, Sean Dietrich. Man, it's been a modified pleasure, if I do say so myself. This episode was brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy, the fisherman, the carver, and the Southern Baptist, who once said the best way to cure idle hands is to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. And by Folklore Brewing Company, quite literally the best brew in Alabama. Visit FolkloreBrewingAndMeadery.com today. That music you heard behind me today was brought to you by Bailey Bigger. Bailey's newest single, Treetops, is now available for free download on Bandcamp or visit baileybigger.com to download her music today. You will not regret it. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouthshow.com and there you can find archived episodes dating back to our very first episode all the way to this episode, which you just heard, though I don't know why. You must have a terrible taste in podcasts. And while you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line to me about your birthday announcements, wedding invitations, and potluck socials, and I do my best to read them over the air because I love doing that stuff for my friends. So speaking of friends, friends, if there's something worth liking, it's something worth loving. Adios.